Say I won't. Why y'all scared to be different? Say I won't. Why y'all scared to be different? Say I won't. We them outsiders. That's just how we live it. Say I won't. And I bet I will. You can say I won't. Last week during our Saturday night service. Pastor Tyler taught on the first five verses of 1 Timothy chapter 4, which he uses as a foundation for a new series on common false teachings affecting the modern church. What we're doing tonight is we're jumping back into Timothy, um, and then we're actually going to start a little mini-series in the series of Timothy. Um, I'm really excited about tonight because it's something that I, it, it's just funny how God like ordains things and how he works things out, and uh, Actually, when I was studying this a couple of weeks ago, uh, it wasn't even really as much into uh, kind of understanding about false teachers and, and different uh, of the false teachings that are going around or plaguing our church, the modern church, and it just so happened to fall on this week, so I'm really excited about it. So let's pray real quick. Uh, Father God, thank you for this time that you have ordained, um, Lord, uh, even as as it's a uh, smaller um, crowd, even as we had a smaller scaled-down worship set, Lord, um, we know that this time is ordained by you. We know, God, that you are pleased with a humble heart, with a heart of repentance. So, Lord, we just, we lay it all down. We give it all to you. Um, I ask that as you speak through me, Lord, that I will be bold, that you will give me the courage to say tough things, and God, that I will just totally decrease, Lord, and that your spirit will increase in me. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. All right, so the title of this message is going to be called, How to Spot a Phony. All right, everybody say, How to Spot a Phony. Everybody knows what a phony is, right? A phony, a fake, big phony. So, me personally, and a lot of you guys know my story, and if you don't, uh, you're going to hear a little bit of it tonight. I spent some time in jail, right, when I was a younger, young man, and uh, when you go to jail, you find yourself around a lot of phonies, right? You find yourself around a lot of liars. Um, I used to call jail, it's like the Army used to have this slogan, I don't know if they still have it today, but it was, you can be all you can be, right? So I used to call jail, I was like, yeah, the Army. Everybody in there is just like, they, they, they be all they can be. Like they, they make up things, they say things, they, because you don't have any idea. They're, they're in jail right? So they tell you they have all this stuff on the streets. They're like, man, I've got cars. I was a millionaire. You know, I was the biggest, uh, you know, drug dealer around, man. I had all this money. I had all these girls. I had all these things. I had all this stuff, right? So in jail, the food in there, does anybody know anybody that's been to jail? A lot of people, yeah. Food in jail is horrible. Like, let me tell you, the food in jail is like cafeteria food, like, like worse than that 20 times. It's horrible. It almost, to me, I, we used to always like say this thing that the, uh, that the, the guards, that the COs at the jail, they went and collected everybody's leftovers 
what they were going to throw out of their fridge, and then they brought it back to the jail, and that's what they fed us. Because that's what the food tasted like, right? It was horrible, disgusting food. Don't go to jail if you like to eat good food. Now, that's not the only reason not to go to jail, but that's one reason. So I would find myself in jail, young man, 19, 20 years old, and I was like, you've got all this nasty food, right, that they feed you, but then what they do, who likes ramen noodles? Raise your hand if you like oodles of noodles, man. So I feel like the jails may have like this collaboration, they got stocked with ramen noodles or something, because... Everybody in jail, you can buy ramen noodles, right? You can buy oodles of noodles, and they cost like, well, you, you can buy like oodles of noodles at the store for like 10 cents or something. The jail sell them for like 70, it's like a 700% markup on them. You can sell them for like 70 cents there, and uh, it's, it, it's nuts. So people in jail, what they do is they replace their meals with oodles of noodles, right? You buy oodles of noodles, that way you don't have to eat what the jail is feeding you. Is everybody following this? This is just the way my mind works, all right? So this is when I was, I was like, this is a, a good way that I used to spot a phony, and this is how it went. So in jail, you've got bad food, or you can buy oodles of noodles. It aren't that much better, but hey, it's, it's, it is, you know, a little bit better. You can do what you want to them. So people in jail, like, they would say, man, you know what? I had all this money on the street. I've got all this stuff. But then these guys were the same ones that didn't have any oodles of noodles, right? They didn't have any ramen noodles. And I'm like, if you had all this money on the street, you had all this money, how can you not afford a 70-cent pack of ramen noodles? How can you not afford this? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. You're sitting around complaining about the food and how bad it stinks. Go buy you some noodles, Right? So my mind, like I said, my mind works different than other people's. I would be able to spot a phony by if they didn't have any ramen noodles. Like, if this dude don't have any ramen noodles, man, they're, they're, he's faking. He's lying. You didn't have money in the streets because if you had money on the streets, you had all these people that cared about you, that you were taken care of. They would be taking care of you. They would send you some money. You would buy you some oodles of noodles, and you wouldn't be eating dog food. I think everybody in here, we can all kind of, hopefully not that you've been in jail and that you kind of correlate ramen noodles to picking out a phony, but I'm sure everybody in here knows somebody that maybe tells some lies, right? Everybody in here has told a lie. I got caught up in, you know, telling lies before. Everybody's told lies, and we've all, we probably know somebody that's maybe really close to us that has a real problem with lying. It tells you false things all the time that you have no idea, like, if the truth is even in them. You have no idea, like, if they're telling you something, if it's true, if it's false, if it's like, hey, I don't know what, I don't know what to get. I don't know what I'm getting here. The little boy that cried wolf, right? You know, kept saying, man, there's a wolf here, there's a wolf here. There was no wolf there. There's a wolf here, there's a wolf there. No wolf there. Third time, there was really a wolf there. Nobody believed them, though. In society, in the church, we find it very hard, even in our own lives, to tell the truth. If we're honest with ourselves, there's times that we maybe exaggerated things to make ourselves look a little bit better, right? You know, it's cool to say, hey, man, I got, 
you know, I, I scored, I, I coach basketball, so kids all the time, like, if we, it, they will say, man, I scored 23 points, and I had 15 rebounds, six steals, and they had, like, three points, and I'm like, what are you doing? You didn't have any of those things, like, you just are saying things because you, didn't, you don't know if somebody can go back and, you know, check the facts. So we find ourselves in the story of, or in the, in the passage that we're in today, and it's, it's 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. And what Paul is doing here, and he's, he's actually talking to Timothy, and he's giving Timothy instruction on how to spot phonies. How, like, there's a lot of phonies out there. There's a lot of fakes out there. There's a lot of, uh, of false teachers, heretics. And so what he's doing is he's showing and he's talking about ways and he's trying to tell Timothy, hey, we got to expose these people, right? We got to stay away from them. So it says that now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciousnesses are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If we go back to verse 1, Paul starts off and he says, Now the Spirit... He doesn't say, now this is my interpretation. He doesn't say, this is my opinion. He's like, the Spirit of God is speaking to me here. He says that some will depart. Now, if you depart from something, you have had to have done what? Had to arrive. He's not talking to just like people that are, you know, non-believers or pagans or, you know, the guys out here just doing wrong things. He's speaking and he's saying, like, look, some are going to depart from something that they had been presented with. How many times do we see that? You know, we have baptisms. We have this. We have confessions of faith. You have this, that, that. Oh, man, we had 500 come to Jesus tonight. We had 55 baptisms. And they never show up again. Now, I'm not saying, and my claiming, and I'm not saying that they're not saved, or they're not, whatever, I don't know how people are living, but a one time, you, you know, you'll never find the sinner's prayer in the Bible anywhere, never find that, it says to confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and, and, and confess it, repent, Jesus said repent, 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 but it says that some will depart. So we have to arrive there first. You have to see it. You have to kind of be a part of something to depart from something, correct? Is everybody following that? So Paul's not just speaking to like those guys out here that you know are doing the wrong thing. He's speaking to the church here. So he goes on and it says that <clears throat> some will depart from what? The faith. 
You know, we have so many, like, nominal Christians now. You know, you go around, you ask people if they're a Christian, and, and they claim, yeah, man, I'm a Christian. And the word nominal means that, like, you, you profess something, but there's no evidence of it. You have so many people that say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I go to Unchained, I go to church, I do this, I do that. But then there's no evidence. And so when it's saying here that they will depart from the faith, they were there, they were presented the gospel, they understood, and they departed from it. And it says that what they'll do is they will devote themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. Now this isn't like necessarily going to a you know, a demonic teacher. There's an old saying, too. I was talking to Brandon a couple nights ago, and we were talking about how, uh, you know, how crafty the devil is, right? In uh, John 8, 44, it says, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is what? There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. He's the father of all lies. So there's a saying that if the devil has to show you his horns, you're in trouble. If you've got to have somebody that comes and tells you, like, hey, yep, this is, that's, that's the devil. Hopefully, most people in here aren't going to sit under that type of teaching. You're not going to sit under that type of stuff. Now, some of you guys do listen to a lot of that stuff that the world feel, fills your head with, pop culture. A lot of that stuff is very evident. But anything, basically, if he is the father of lies, that means that every lie has his DNA in it. So anything that is off of the word of God is what? It's a lie. And it's from the devil. People try to sugarcoat it. They try to make, make you think and, and make you feel, right? Christianity is about feelings. What do I feel? How do I feel today? What do I, is it? We've turned this into something deceitful. We've turned it into something that is, is misconstrued in our theology and our thoughts. So when we say that, if we go back to, to verse 1, if we say that they're devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons, this could be anybody. It could be any lies of the world, false teachers, that is seducing Christians away from genuine Christianity and teaching them unbiblical ideas, theology. It's not necessarily, don't let this fool you. It's not just saying like, man, you know, they've got to be sitting here telling you that they are false teachers. It can be anything that is rooted in a lie. Verse 2, he goes on and he says that through the insincerity of liars whose consciousness are seared, the guys are liars without a good conscience. It uses the term consciences are seared. I want everybody, all right, the word seared, right, means you become numb to it. 
Everybody grab your, it's a word for this thing right here. It's called uh, your orcrinol, all right? Everybody grab your elbow right there. See how it's numb? You can put as much pressure on it as you want. See? Yeah? Y'all, you do that? Everybody grab it. Squeeze that thing. There's nothing you, it does not hurt, right? Somebody else can squeeze it, somebody else. It's numb. There's no feeling there. I want you guys to think about this. When you, and I talk about this a lot, when you start to get in your sin pattern, right? You start to do sinful things. You start to do things that you know aren't right, right? You're like, at first, it's like, oh, man, I know that's not right. I know my parents wouldn't like this. I know this isn't what, I, I wouldn't want Pastor Tyler knowing about this one right here. I, I don't want my parents knowing. I don't want my teeth. I don't want anybody knowing. And then all of a sudden, it becomes easier and easier, and easier, and easier, you become numb to sin. You become numb to the false teachings. You know, I, I, I've got a new thing that, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts, I listen to a lot of sermons, pastors, right? I want to fill my body, with, I want to fill my mind with that stuff. Man, if a sermon doesn't challenge me and make me feel a little uncomfortable, I'm like, I, I need another one. I don't want to hear this feel-good, hippie, yippie, yay, all right, everything's good today, I'm good, let me just go on. I don't want to be numb. I don't want to be this. I want to be challenged. And according to Paul, who was writing to Timothy, a church leader, a church planner, he says that, man, these guys that are lying to you, their consciousness are seared. They're numb. They've said this junk so many times. They've written these sermons out. They've written these songs out. They've done this, they've done that. They've posted snaps. They've posted Facebook posts. They've memed. They've shared enough fight videos that now they just push the button. It don't even matter to you no more. And when you sit under that type of teaching, you sit under those type of people, you surround yourself with those type of people, guess what happens? You get, become just like them. What you fill yourself, who you surround yourself with by birds of a feather, flock together. Go on to verse 3. So this is what was going on in, in the time that, that Paul wrote this, and it was something the church was really plagued with, right? And we all know that we just read in John that the devil is the father of all lies, right? And the devil is what, crafty? When you think of the devil... You know, what was he represented in, in, the, uh, in the garden? A snake, right? What is, I hate snakes. Like, I cannot stand snakes. They freak me out. Like, you, you want to see me freak out? Like, throw a snake up here. I will freak out. I will jump off of here. I, like, might climb to the, the rafters or something. Like, there's, snakes freak me out. I don't like them. I was actually cleaning out, um, me, and Chris Van, me and Chris were cleaning out an old garage one time. And there was just a snake skin in there. And I, like, I was like, nope, I'm not going back in there. And I had this little, he was, 
not little 16-year-old, this 16-year-old boy had to pull down the snake, the, uh, just the skin. Like, the, that's how much, like, I'm afraid of them, the fear of it. But the, he's, the snakes are what? They're crafty, right? They're crafty. They're sneaky. So, and I'm a very strong believer that the things that, now we have a lot, there's a lot of similarities, right, with, with Old Testament, New Testament, with uh, things that plagued the church back then. But I'm a very big, like, society changes, right? Things change. You think the devil doesn't keep up with that? You think the devil doesn't know that Americans especially, like, we want more. It's the American dream. Go get more. Do it. You can. It's all about you, right? It's all about what the new thing you can get. What the, if you don't think that the devil capitalizes on your mentality of get more, do more, I've got to be accepted, feel good, everything's about how we feel. If you don't think the devil has crept into the new teachings, new ideas, there's one idea, and his name was Jesus Christ. He's right here. His, his story is here. There's one idea. There's one gospel, and his name is Jesus. And he came to save, and he'll save you. There's nothing else. And there's so many other things out there, and it's so much junk. And so back then, they had a big problem with, with people like legalism, right? And we still have... We still have legalism now. There's a lot of churches that are still legalistic, but I'm telling you what, man, there's, I, I feel like that we have learned how to recognize legalism a little bit more in culture, and I feel like the devil has gotten more crafty in his way of, to, of, of, of deceiving people. It's a different path now. It's a get more. And we're going to go over some of the, the, the different God, fake theologies, doctrines that are out there, and we're actually going to spend some time in the upcoming weeks and we're going to study those. We're going to study Scripture and see what Scripture says about some of these new things that are out there. We're going to go through those. We're going to build a foundation today, right, because that's what Paul was doing. But we're going to go through those in the upcoming week. We're going to have a series in the series. So what was happening then is they had people who they forbid marriage, and then they required abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So they were forbidding marriage, and they were saying that certain foods are bad. Tell me something that maybe you could think of that kind of, uh, they say that you can't eat a certain food. What's a religion today that you can think of that, that's not, that you can't eat a certain food? There's a big one. Uh-huh. Muslims, that's the big one, right? No pork, no different, right? Different things. Judaism, that's, you're right. There's, but Muslim is the bigger one that most people know, right? So that's something that you can kind of relate up, relate today. Now, marriage. What's the scheme now? What's the idea, right? Man, I, I've had so many people tell me, like, I don't need a piece of paper to, to, to say I'm with so-and-so. You know, I'll meet young people that are dating in their 20s, 25, 30s, whatever. 
They've been dating somebody for three or four years. Like, what are you doing? Y'all working on marriage? Like, are you, you, you trying to, uh, you know, I don't know if marriage is for me. But you're playing like you're married. You're pretending to be married. You're hugged up. You're cuddling and you're doing things that married people do that God decided this is good, right? There's no real young. Sex is a good thing inside of marriage. That's what God designed it for, to create. We need food, right? These are all pivotal things for creation. We need to eat. Now, fasting is great. I fast sometimes. But when I get off that fast, I'm like, yo, I'm hungry. What is my first meal going to be? I am starving. But these were all things that people were saying like, hey, nah, don't, you don't do that. But at the same time, they were heretics because they were out there and they were living. They were doing the stuff that they were preaching against. Listen, they're talking about don't get married. Yeah, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't eat this. And they're out there li living that way. They're doing it for their own gain. There was a, a it, it was a, I think, pop culture, right? Pop culture and, 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 and the kind of the way society, music, it trivializes marriage, right? It's not important. Don't get married. Now, the Bible, you know, clearly states Paul's a big advocate and speaks, hey, if you're not called to get married, man, <laughs> serve Jesus. <laughs> There's some that may not be called to get married. That's fine. But when you're running around playing like you are, and you're listening to so-and-so tell you that that's the reason, if that's your choice and that's the reason why you're not getting married, you're under false teaching. You're under a false teacher. You're under uh, 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 demonic doctrine. You're under demonic father of lies. It's from the devil. <clears throat> so then he also, he kind of touches on relationship for anybody that is in a relationship for when you do get married right it says that God created these things to be received with thanksgiving right to be thankful for these things to be thankful for marriage how thank you thankful for food that's why you give grace right you say your prayer don't do it as a ritual talk to God when you do that don't just say something be, be sincere about it but it says that it's supposed to be received with thanksgiving by what by those who believe and know the truth. That's a call to believers. Ladies, if you're messing with some boy, it's pulling you away from God, pulling you away from what the Word of God says, he's not a believer who doesn't believe and know the truth, right? A lot of people know the truth. A lot of people know about Christianity. A lot of people know about Jesus. A lot of people know about God. A lot of people have made God in their own image. But believing it and actually having an encounter with it that changes your life is two different things. I can know something all day, right? I can go, and, and I listened to a pastor say this other day, that I can go and I can sit up there and I can say, hey, man, I can go to the White House. Man, let me in. I know Obama. I know him. I know him, right? I can tell you who his, what his dog's name, I mean, you can look it up, right? I can find out who what his dog's name is, what his kids, his wife, what's his wife's name? Oh, 
Michelle, yeah. I was, I was thinking Mariah. I'm like, Mariah? <laughs> yeah. I can say all these things, though, right? But they're going to say, he doesn't know you. He doesn't know you. You guys don't know each other. He doesn't believe you. We don't believe it. So often, man, we walk these lives and we live these lives and we claim and we know, right? We know, yeah, I know Jesus. It's, it's so disheartening for me when I have talks after service with kids, young ladies, young men. And I'm like, you know, well, are you a believer? Do, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? No. Like, but you, you know. I, yeah, I know everything, and I, I know, but I haven't believed. I don't trust. I haven't received. I'm not living. I'm not walking it out. They're walking around in just torment and pain week after week, and they come, and they cry, and they have these emotional breakdowns. But then right when they get back into the world, it's just, up, oh, living my life. God's an afterthought. Such a lack of people that are living it out, pursuing a Christ-like life. We have to ask ourselves that. Like, am I pursuing Christ? Am I pursuing sanctification? Am I pursuing holiness? My trusting in the finished work of the cross. Am I saying, man, that's my rock, and that empowers me. It empowers me to, to, to strive, to learn more, to want to learn more. In verse 4, they had basically just started, you know, they're, they're, they're teaching things that are just totally contradicting Scripture. He had basically, you know, it says that for everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Everything that they were speaking against, the, the two things that Paul mentioned here, they were created for, by God. They were created for good. In verse 5, he goes on and he says that, for it is made holy by what? Not by what so-and-so says. Not by what this blog says. Not by what Facebook says. So how do we know if things are true? How do we know if things are false? By the word of God in prayer. You know, a, a counterfeit, you know, the FBI, they have people that study counterfeit bills, right? A lot of counterfeit money out there. I know we probably don't see a lot of it, but you actually may. It may like, you, you may go to the store and you may get one and you may pass it off. You don't know you do. There's a lot of counterfeit money out there. Counterfeit, people that study counterfeit money to find out, because people are making new ways every day, right, to give counterfeit money. 
new ways. They're trying to keep up with it. That's how the criminals. The people that study the counterfeits, they don't go and they don't study every single one of those bills that are new because there's new stuff created every day. They study the real bill. They study the bill so they know that bill inside and out. So when they see a fake, they know it. When they see a fake, they're like, nope, that's fake, that's not true, that's wrong. How many of us, and I've caught myself doing it, you know, growing up I did it so often, but you just follow the next fad. Just follow the next it thing. Follow the next thing that's happening. Everybody seems to be having a good time over here. So that's where I'm going. And you stray further and further and further away from God's plan for your life. From you, you, you go into human bondage. Man, trying to keep people happy. <laughs> Miserable life. Trying to keep up with the latest fashion, the, the latest phones, the latest technology, the money, the latest cars, the latest this, the latest that, the latest boy, the latest girl. I say this all the time, like you ever wanted a girl, I, I, I used to like girls before and then you, you, they'd start, you'd date them or something, you'd be like, I don't even like you, like you're not what everybody made you out to be. It's not even, you're not even, like, cool. What you, I don't know why. Why did I stress over you? Why did I stress? Why did I follow? Why did I pursue? Man, I would, you know, my prayer for you guys is that we don't end up one day on our knees and, and praying to God and saying, God, why did I turn away from your word? Why did I turn away from your scriptures and from, from who you are? Why did I choose this? Why did I pursue this? I, I knew all I had to do was study the real thing through prayer, the word of God. It's going to be... It's going to be a time in every one of you young people's lives, and everybody's life in here, where you're going to be like, and, and I'm sure you've had times, and, and <clears throat> but as you grow older, as I just turned 35, I feel really old, and as you grow older, you get faced with new, <laughs> you get faced with new things in life, right? Every, like choices, life doesn't get any easier, you know? You're still faced with choices every single day. You got people that, are, that tempt you, that want you to do this, that, or the other, like, all the time. And if you guys can, like, right now, if you can build a foundation, man, you will save yourselves from so much heartache, so much pain, so much just funk, You will. If you can build a foundation on the word of God, prayer, as Timothy says right here, that that's how we know what is holy, what is acceptable to God. 
Romans 12, 1 says, says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You know, we think, and I said this a couple weeks ago, like we think that just the, the singing, that's the worship, right? That's our worship to God. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, acceptable to God. It's your spiritual worship. Presenting yourself as a living sacrifice in everything you do. God rejoices in that. So this week, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to briefly, I'm going to talk. we got about five more minutes. I'm going to close up here. But, so I just wanted to kind of lay a foundation. I wanted you to ask yourselves two things. I'm going to challenge you to ask yourselves two things. One is, are you a nominal Christian? Is it something that you say? Is it something that you just kind of do and, you know, when you're around certain people, you're a Christian? Does your life show fruit? If people, if your closest friends, if those around you were to, to be asked that question, what would they say? Would they say, yeah, they're a believer, they're Christians? Second question, what is in your life that you've become numb to? What's in your life right now that, that you've just kind of become numb to it? You know it's wrong. It started off, you can think of a time in your life where it started off and you're like, I didn't like doing that when I first started doing it. My conscience ate me up. There was these things in my life that, man, I, I, I knew they were wrong, but now I do them without any conscience. My conscience is seared. It's numb. It's dead. I just do them and don't even care. So there's those two questions, and I'm going to ask them again here in a, in a couple minutes, but... I'm going to just kind of give a brief overview of, of seven different false teachings that are out there. It's going to be really quick. And these are some things we're going to talk about in the upcoming weeks. All right? So the first one is the prosperity gospel. So what this, God, what, what, what this does and what this teaching does, right, it basically says that if I worship God, if I worship Jesus, I get more things. I get more stuff. That my goal and my purpose in life is to become rich, is to get more things and, and get financial gain. Uh, the Apostle Paul rebuked it. He says they are uh, of corrupt minds and 
destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. That's a big one, man. The prosperity gospel is huge now. It's huge. And once again, it is the devil's use of our sinful nature, right? We want more stuff. So, hey, let's attach, if we attach that to Jesus, we take away from the gospel, then people will stray there, they'll go that way, but they're really following the false teacher. Um, <clears throat> number two that we're going to talk about next, uh, next couple weeks is hyper-grace. Hyper-grace teaching has become an epidemic. It has slipped in almost unnoticed and has taken root like an unwanted weed. So what it does, it, it basically says that we don't, that everything is forgiven, which all sins are forgiven. Jesus died for each and every one of your sins. Absolutely. But what this teaching, what it messes up and what it misses scripture here is it, it loses the holiness of God. Jacob talked about it. And it kind of takes away from repent, confess, right? So you have people that are just living and they're just kind of becoming numb to their sin because they, oh, oh, it's already forgiven, it's already forgiven. And you have people that continue to walk in things because they say, okay, grace has already covered it. I'm good. <clears throat> Number three <laughs> um, is anti-antinomianism. Everybody say that. <laughs> it's hard to say. What it is, it's a long word with a simple meaning, and it, the word means against law. So it's kind of, uh, what it is, is it's a, it's a short jump from an overemphasis on the grace message to complete um, against law, right? So it's kind of like that borderline. It's saying that, hey, everything, anything goes. Jesus set us free. The problem is Jesus didn't set us free to what? To sin. He set us free from sin. It's not a what does Paul say? The Apostle Paul says, grace doesn't abound so you can sin more. It's not grace so you can just do what you want to do. It's a responsibility. Christian is called to a responsibility. Number four, this one's huge. The deification of man. This is where it starts with man rather than God. Today's gospel, especially in America, this is huge. There's some teachers and churches that I could name that I'm not going to. But there are plenty. We listen to their worship music. We love it. I've started to, guys, and we're going to do a teaching on this sometime in the near future, but listen to some worship songs sometimes. Sometimes you you got to really question what the song's about. What am I really, like, who am I worshiping here? We turn God, we turn Jesus into, you know, Jesus our buddy, which he is. He loves us. Jesus is the, 
He's a sissy. He's a buddy, and he just, everything's good. Jesus said some raw stuff, man. Jesus was, he was a, he was a rebel. He was raw. And so what this does, it, it, it basically says that this gospel is, rather than being all about God, it's all about me. Just as the American way is to make everything bigger and better, the American gospel says that Jesus came to make you into a bigger and better you. It's not the gospel. The gospel is not about what you can do. It's about what Jesus did. It's not about what you can accomplish. It's about what Jesus accomplished. <clears throat> Number five, challenging the authority of the word. There's so many people out there now who challenge the inerrancy of scripture. They say that the Bible, oh, well, that's just missing, you know, it's misinterpreted. It's, uh, you know, so much contradiction in there. There's so much this. There's that, the other. There's so many scriptures, and we're going to go over them, that, that talk about how the, the Bible is, that's, it's inerrant. It's without error. Everything is useful for teaching. Everything in the Bible is useful. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. If somebody tells you that the Bible is false, walk away. You walk away from them. Call me. Call Brandon. No, don't call Brandon. He might jerk him up or something. But that's such a big, in our society these days, it is huge. <clears throat> Number six is rejecting hell. We preach, a lot of churches, a lot of people preach an unbalanced gospel. We preach a lot on God's love. We truly do. And God's love, but if we just preach on God's love, we don't understand everything and who God is. To understand the good news, sometimes you've got to understand the bad news. You've got to understand that, man, God is holy. He is perfect. He is the creator and there's so many people out here that have tried to X hell out. There's no hell. A loving God wouldn't send anyone to hell. And there's plenty of scriptures, and we're going to go through it. And people want to, you know, we want to emphasize his mercy, but ignore his justice. Number seven is universal reconciliation. Promotes a get-out-of-jail-free mentality. That in the end, everyone will make it into heaven because of Jesus' death on the cross. And then it also teaches that all paths lead to heaven. There may be future suffering. They, they add this stuff into it. You know, they say, oh, there may be future suffering, but there's no eternal separation from God. Everybody will be reconciled. 
And they even misconstrue scriptures and they, 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 they reword things. And we're going to go through all that in the weeks to come. But if these are the seven that I believe are truly plaguing the church, our society, America especially. And we're going to go over these things in the next couple of weeks. We're going to learn. We're going to study. And we're going to study what Scripture says about these things. We're going to truly understand what Scripture says about them and why they are false. And if everybody, we're going to close out right now. If Jacob and Emma can come up. I want to close with this verse. And it says in John 10, 27. It says that my sheep, they what? They hear my voice. My sheep know me. My sheep hear my voice. And then what? I know them. And then what do they do? They follow me. They hear, they know, and they follow. As I asked you guys earlier, if you're a nominal Christian, what have you become numb to? Whatever pops into your head, I want you to just close your eyes right now, bow your heads. I want you to truly sit for about five, ten seconds, and we're going to just sit. I want you to think about those, those two things, the two, whatever you answered for those questions. I want you to just focus on those things, and I want you to truly ask yourself, this verse right here, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Are you following Jesus? Are you truly following the King of Kings? the Lord of lords who laid down his life for you. If you've never made a decision, or if you've said, a, you've said some prayer and you, you have turned away from that, and you say that, man, I, I don't follow him, it says that my sheep will follow me. Guys, let my life be an example. Let the Apostle Paul, it's never too late to follow Jesus. No matter what you came in here, no matter what burden, no matter what sin, no matter what problem, no matter what chain, no matter what depression, no matter what family issue is going on at home, it is never too late to follow Jesus. If you've even been caught up in some lies that that society's fill, filling your head with, that even false teachers, whatever it looks like, guys. You can make a commitment today and you can truly 
walk it out. You can truly be a follower of Christ and follow his word, follow his teachings. So I'm going to pray for everybody and we're going to pray and if you have, we have a few leaders here tonight, we're a little bit short, but they're going to be up front if you want to pray, if you need somebody to pray with, you need somebody to talk with, you know we're always here to do that. So Father God, I just pray right now that you will move in those lives. You will reach those dark places. You will invade those spots with the love from the blood of the cross. I pray that each and every person in here, God, will know how loved they are, that you gave them away, that you showed them truth. You've given them a choice. You've given them freedom. You've given them Jesus. I pray that, Lord, that we will be a group, a people that are set apart, that are a little bit different. That when people see us, they will know something is different. They will know that we are your children and that we are following Jesus. So Father, I just pray that if there's anyone in here Lord, that has anything that they're going through just needs prayer, Lord. I pray that they will have the boldness to reach out to you, to call out to you. You say, draw near and you will answer, Lord. And we believe that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys will stand while we worship. Thank you for listening to the Unchained Podcast. To learn more about us or find more resources like this, check us out at www.unchained.rocks or come visit us on a Saturday night, 6.30 p.m. at 1415 Kemper Street, Lynchburg, Virginia.